Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you a good friend and tuning in to spur your old pal on? Well, thank you if you are. Are you an industry expert looking for insights or are you growing your career? You know, I created the Unknown Origins podcast series to have the most inspiring conversations with creative industry experts about entrepreneurship, pop culture, art, music, film and fashion. Few can hold a candle to leading organisational transformation and culture curation than my guest today. He has been at the forefront of industry for over 30 years, from economic analyst, teaching fellow, to chief people officer across companies Microsoft, Avanade, Slalom, Roman Haas, the George Washington University and Capital Economics, where he has captained all aspects of human resource management industrial relations policies, practices and operations, organisation effectiveness and culture transformation that accelerate innovation and optimise business performance. Welcome, Dave Gartenberg. Hey, thanks. Good to to hear your voice again, Roy. What inspired and attracted you to the field of organisational effectiveness in the first place? Starts off with my first job after university. I was working at a consulting firm uh, I was an economic analyst, and um, it taught me how to code back in the days. Um, it taught me how to do analytics. I was doing I was doing business intelligence BI before it was even uh, even called that, and doing it in a very complex way because the tools weren't really helpful. And um, while I was quite good at that, I found myself noticing that uh, how the organization I was working for was being run. Uh, didn't feel right. I noticed we were what, what we call here in the States, a burn and churn shop. So you'd, you'd hire an analyst, you'd, you'd, you'd crank as much work out of them as you can in two, three years, then they would turn over and, and you'd hire more and, and whatnot. And, and I just kept thinking like, it took me, a, it took an analyst a good year to kind of really get to be competent or so year and a half. And then like, right when people were getting good, they were leaving. And I just like, God, there's gotta be a better way. And then I noticed, you know, I, I, when I found out, like I found out I got a raise by noticing my paycheck was different. You got feedback by people, never from the people you worked with, but by hearing the rumor mill, you know, someone <laughs> popped their head in the office and said, Hey, I heard you did a great job or Hey, I heard you really screwed up. And, and, uh, you know, being, you know, in my early twenties, I didn't know that, th- that that was wrong. It just felt like it could be done better. And so it put me on a little bit of a learning path. And, uh, and so that, that sparked the interest and, I thought about getting a master's, going back, getting a master's in industrial organization psychology. Uh, At that point in time, you couldn't do anything at the master's level. And I knew I certainly at that point in my life didn't have the maturity, the finances, the fortitude or the intellect to get a PhD. And so thought I'd go get an MBA and researching MBA programs, discovered one that was offering a new degree um, that offered an MBA with a concentration in organizational behavior and development. And it married that, you know, the, the concept of business acumen along with, you know, how to, how to unleash individual and group uh, potential inside organizations. And I just, I knew, I, I, I knew that was absolutely uh, my passion and where, where I wanted to focus the rest of my career. What does being an organizational effectiveness leader mean to you? Yeah, it's great. And, and I, I love that term because, you know, the prof- it, it, it falls within the broader profession of human resources, or as some might say, personnel. 
Um, and, and I, I, I try to distinguish the two because there is a point, you know, where personnel people and HR will focus on typically, uh, the profession focuses on, um, administrative things, right? How to just make sure organizations run, right? That people are getting paid, people are getting hired, people are exited. Um, and, and, and those are certainly important things, but if you think about it as, you know, going back to school, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, those are foundational things. They need to be done well. And if they're not done well, things go bad for companies. So I don't mean to diminish the importance of it, but that's not where my passion was. An organization effectiveness leader or really a proper HR leader would focus more on how do they, how do they, how do they set an organization up to, to, to realize its potential, right? And so I'm a big believer in, in systems thinking. And um, there's a number of models out there, that, but there's a great one by Jay Galbraith that's called the STAR model, right? It's got five dimensions to it. It, it talks about um, strategy, structure, processes, rewards, and people. And within that, you've got levers as an organization you get to pull. And most orgs never really think about it as a holistic, in a holistic way, um, about aligning them in the direction you're trying to take the company, right? They just kind of set, they make decisions in isolation um, and, or either, you know, only focus on cost reduction or whatnot and not thinking about what are the implications to the broader piece. And so I think a really good org effectiveness professional will go in, understand what the business is trying to do, and then align all those levers you have at your disposal to help um, give as much uh, tailwinds uh, in the direction that you're trying to go. Your point on systems thinking is one that stands out and that by viewing systems from a broad perspective to understand the holistic level of how structures, patterns, and cycles within systems all fit together rather than just seeing the the specific events or a polarized view of the system. Yeah, and, and it's funny because it's 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 neither new um, nor actually that complex. And yet I just, I, I can't understand why, and it's not just something for org effectiveness professionals. Right? Every leader should understand that, right? Every parent yes. actually should understand that. Yeah. Right? It's just like, it's a basic concept of just really around intentionality and just understanding the different, the different, um, opportunities or, you know, uh, I keep using levers, but there's probably a better word, but different variables in your equation and being intentional about being thoughtful about how you want to set that up, uh, to be, to be helpful in what you're trying to get as an outcome. Absolutely. And it's so missed in, in, in modern day culture for, for whatever reason. Culture is the engine that drives our momentum. It is the sum of what you feel, believe, and do and can include stories that shape and define your work's input and output. A culture is defined by the people who live and operate within it. In the same demographic, two cultures, for example, created simultaneously, pursuing the same ideals, will still become two very different entities. I I think of cities like Liverpool and Manchester, Edinburgh, Glasgow, and my friends from um, all four of those cities will hate me for saying this, but they are almost joined on to to one another, you know, Liverpool to Manchester, Glasgow to Edinburgh. But yet the cultures are so different and unique um, in most dimensions, especially in terms of how they speak and their dialect, their, their, their language. Anyway, why is this? It's because people are different. When people come together in service of something greater, 
They retain their own unique personalities, passions, hopes and dreams, and the shared experiences and constant interactions between people make up a culture. What's your approach to curating a culture in terms of driving positive organisational effectiveness? Yeah, it's, it, it, that's a great question. And, and the answer will differ upon, you know, which company you're at. Um, having led HR for a couple different companies that, that needed different things out of its culture. But, but that being said, there is kind of a common playbook. And again, it keeps going back to that foundation of kind of that systems approach, a holistic approach. But if I think of some of the strong levers that, that you want to think about, I think leadership is, is key, right? Um, you, I think one of the biggest failings in many companies is you see people talk about what they want in their culture. And yet when you see what their senior leadership do and how they act and behave, it really, it does really start at the top. One of the, there's a really wonderful PowerPoint that uh, file or PDF that floats around the internet. It's probably, it's probably a good 15 years old or so that really was informative to me on how I thought about creating cultures and unleashing potential of organ, in, individuals and organizations. It, it's uh, referred to as the Netflix culture deck. And they did, a, there's been a couple iterations of it over time, but uh, I'll use my words, uh, which won't, will, will unartfully describe it. But, but one of the things I really loved about the ethos of what they were doing at Netflix back in the early 2000s is rather than design a company to prevent the, the, the 0.01% of the people from doing bad things, they decided to design a company that would, that, that would accept that risk that sometimes people will do bad things intentionally or unintentionally, but they were going to optimize for how to unleash the 99.99% of the people that just want to show up and do great work for the clients and, and each other. And I just thought that was such a powerful reframing. And when you start to think about it, that versus all the processes you put in place to make sure mistakes don't occur and things like that, it really starts to, it really starts to reframe how you think about these things. And then, you know, and then you can start to think through, okay, so what are the leadership behaviors we need around that? What are the, you know, what are the things we're going to do to set our people up? What are the behaviors we need of our, those middle managers, right? They can either be a headwind on a culture or a tailwind. And, you know, what's the level of trust in the culture? Is it safe to make a mistake? One of the things I, one of the stories I love from a leader I supported earlier in my career was he, he was part of a, 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 a major project where they were shipping a product and uh, he made a mistake that actually had the product going to the wrong location. And it cost, it cost the company $25 million to, to fix it. And it was clearly a mistake he was responsible for. He went to a CEO and, and basically just said, here's my resignation. Uh, 25 million was a lot to this company. And, and he said to the, the CEO, I said, hey, here, here's the mistake. Here's what I did to fix it. But it, it did cost us 25 million. And here's my resignation. And the CEO you know, thought for a moment and said, and why would I fire you? I said, I just invested 25 million in your development. I'm pretty sure you're not going to make that mistake again. And how many, you know, how many companies would actually pull that out? How many CEOs would, would do something like that? Not a lot. And you think about it, is it okay to fail if it's, you know, if it's a, if it's a teachable moment and, and wasn't done out of arrogance or ignorance or, or rushing, right? And so all those moments, you know, for culture, there are there are lots of levers that impact it, but I keep going back to it's it's behaviors and it starts at the top that really starts to to let that happen, and then everything flows from there. 
based on your experience to date, Dave, what are the key skills needed to be an organizational effectiveness leader? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a few things. Um, you know, it, it starts with business acumen, right? Even though you're not responsible for the business, um, I think it's so important for everybody in, in all staff groups, but certainly some people in the HR and org effectiveness space to make sure that, that they understand what the business is trying to achieve and not just put, you know, a blind playbook in place that, um, that, that they, you know, that they would do at any company, right? So understand the business strategy. Second, again, going not, not to be a broken record, but I'd go back to systems thinking is a critical component uh, of that. And then I'd also call about change management, right? It's, it's really, you know, I've seen a lot of people who are great at putting a wonderful plan up on the board. Um, and, and it is the right one, but it's like, how do you, how do you take something from theory and how do you operationalize it? How do you know, how do you change an organization um, when, when there's the tension of delivering on the business today, that's going to dominate people's mind share and focus. And so if you can, if you can make sure uh, it's, it, that there's as much art as science to that in trying to um, implement the change in, in while the, while the plane is gliding through the air. Um, and then the other part is around what I would call a future orientation. A lot of times people are designing for today and to use an overused kind of sports analogy, you kind of have to go to where the puck is going, right? And thinking about what is it in the future? Because if you're designing for the today, by the time you light it up, you're already out of, you're already kind of behind again. And so I think those are, those are the dimensions of it that I think, you know, I think from there, there's a whole bunch of other set of skills around, you know, EQ and, and other things I think, you know, would go in there. But, but I'd focus on those as the core bits that I'd, I'd encourage anyone thinking to do this to, to, to build as much muscle as they could around. So you're in a time machine, Dave, and you're going backward. Based on your lessons learned to date, in terms of the pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success, what would you say to a younger Dave? That's great. I mean, I'll make this personal to me, but most of it will 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 would be relative to a lot of folks. But first part, I would say, is believe in yourself. Right. I spent a lot of my youth being pretty insecure and, and lack the confidence. I think I I just I probably should have had in myself. I had mentors who had way more confidence in me than I had in myself, and people who put me in big jobs that I never thought. I deserved um, or, or w- would have ever put my name forward for. In fact, when Roy, when you and I first met in the UK, I was someone, I didn't apply for that job. People asked me to take that job. And I actually said no, thinking that it was too big. It was too much risk. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but, you know, you find your way out. So I think for a lot of people, and, and I think about the people I mentor, especially um, especially a lot of the women I mentor, um, they, they don't have... Uh, but it's, again, it goes across genders, ethnicities, everything, um, believe in yourself. Right. Um, uh, second, uh, would be the importance of listening over speaking. Something my dad taught me growing up is, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth and you're supposed to use it in that proportion. And I think early in my career, I was so eager to prove myself smart and impactful that I spent more time, uh, talking and trying to convince and influence when really I should just have been listening, right? And just be more curious 
and really understand. Um, I think, I think those are, those are good things. And then I would also say mistakes are the fuel for growth. Um, I spent a lot of early part of my career trying to avoid mistakes versus, you know, um, I was so worried about what other people thought and, um, that uh, it just, it was wasted energy. One of the things I love about the manifesto you've, you've written Roy is, you know, ignore, you know, ignore, basically ignore the ridicule, right. That, you know, it's, it's wasted energy. If you know, what's right, you, sh- you need to go for it and don't worry about what, what other people, what other people think. I think of, you know, I'm a big believer in quotes and, uh, you know, I love the one by Winston Churchill that success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And when you're worried about what other people are thinking, you know, that that's not there. If you see, you know, of course you want more wins than failures, but I look back, you know, the professional I am today was probably more formed by what went wrong than actually what went right. And, uh, and those were just immensely, immensely helpful things. Um, and then the last piece I would tell myself, you know, around that again, I'll go back to a quote by a, a famous uh, sports player and coach in U.S. basketball uh, named Phil Jackson. He wrote a wonderful book called Sacred Hoops. It's a wonderful book about uh, about uh, management. It's a book on leadership. It's a wonderful book about basketball. If, if if you like that too, and he he coached Michael Jordan and and Shaquille O'Neal and a few other folks to to championships. Uh, what, what many people don't know is he's a, he's a deadhead. Uh, he's a big follower of the Grateful Dead. And he's also kind of a, a, a very Zen kind of Buddhist gentleman in his belief. And he goes, the quote goes, in Zen, it is said that the gap between accepting things the way they are and wishing them to be otherwise is the tenth of an inch of difference between heaven and hell. If we can accept whatever hand we've been dealt, no matter how unwelcome, the way to proceed eventually becomes clear. That is what is meant by right action, the capacity to observe what is happening and act appropriately without dis- being distracted by self-centered thoughts. If we rage and resist, our angry, fearful minds have trouble quieting down sufficiently to allow us to act in the most beneficial way for ourselves and others. And that was an issue for me growing up. It's like how to not react and just kind of accept, you know, rather than, than bitch and moan about something, how do you just accept, understand the landscape somewhat dispassionately, even though it might be a very emotive topic for you and, and understand, okay, so these are the cards I have. How do I best play them rather than complain about the cards you have? Once I clicked on that in my, in my mid thirties, my God, my life just in my, you know, my happiness, my joy, my impact as a profession, as you know, my relationships, personally, everything just got so much better. I would love to have known that at 18. Navigating into the future, what's your vision for the future of organizational cultures and where do you see the role of creativity play its role within organizational design and effectiveness? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, normally, you know, I think, I think it's unclear you know, I, 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 you know, depending on the day you ask me, I can either be glass half, half empty or half full on this. But, you know, as we're taping this, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it is an awful thing for the world in many dimensions. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, the medical relief to help uh, prevent and cure, cure us from this to allow people to, to revert back to previous life. But, 
but I'm, my hope is that life doesn't doesn't revert exactly. And so you and I have previously talked about um, it is the pandemic and and this kind of black swan event has caused us to step back and challenge some of the basic assumptions by which we've we've managed life and certainly work life. Um, the ability to to not necessarily always have to be face to face um, from a work perspective and um, you know, I think it's cementing in that concept of a gig economy that, you know, is is in the middle of trying to figure out, you know, you see a lot of governments trying to regulate whether or not gig workers, you know, deserve benefits or not. Are they employees? Or are they not employees? And I think there's a lot of things that are starting to unfold that will have implications about, about uh, how to run organizations. And as we start to think about it, I think it's going to start bringing to the forefront, you're starting to see a set of leaders that are paying attention to this more now than they have historically the importance of, you know, especially now we think about becoming truly global um, and not necessarily having workers with the same employment relationships, but you still need them invested in, in, in the mission of the company and, and willing to use their discretionary time when you need them and how to find that. And I think as companies try to work through the complexity of these new business models, um, the, the people are very quickly starting to understand it's not just the compensation issue, right? There's a number of dimensions that that they need to think through. So uh, I, I think the concept of people, org, and culture become more important as we go forward. I think um, I think it, it becomes a competitive advantage for the companies that are executing on it right, that have very similar business models, and yet you see some thriving and others not. And it's not always because there was a first mover advantage. And so I think the dimensions of which, uh, you know, I don't think the basic concepts will change underlying it. I think something like systems thinking and other tools have been around for decades, right? But I think you'll start to see them come a bit more to the forefront. And I think you'll start to see the companies that pay attention to, um, actively managing their culture, seeing, you know, it, it shouldn't be the job when you stop seeing the C, the CHROs or the chief people officers being responsible for culture and seeing the CEOs own it. Um, then you'll know, you know, that's a company I would, I, you know, it's not the sole criteria doesn't guarantee success, but it's, it's a condition for if you're going to have success and, you know, and seeing their chief people officer at their side, you know, advising them on how to, you know, how to really drive it in a really effective way. The gig economy is an, is an intriguing model where people can have multiple gigs at the same time in a part-time or full-time capacity with a single company um, on short-term, temporary or independent for one employer or a variety of, of employers at the same time. This drives the need for being a true expert in your craft and ultimately helps minimize the hindrances, barriers, and toxicity that can get in the way of making the work happen. Especially being that many organizations are still glued to the past on how they are organized in classic, slow, and functional and operational areas, and really designed for mass-produced, manufactured, one-size-fits-all industrial age businesses than the need to be agile and adaptive to the to the modern age business and how and really enabling how work gets done high performing teams are usually self-organizing the performance emerges from the experts joint actions within the project 
who share a shared vision that they commit to, the purpose and the mission to expedite to expedite at hand. Similarly, the most innovative teams mobilize themselves in response to unexpected changes. They don't need a leader to tell them what to do and how. People who have the expertise and passion will step up at the right time in the creative process to lead and drive completion of their respective input and add value to the team and solution. And therefore, the creative atmosphere cultivated is critical, and that provides the the autonomy and space, and it needs to be liberal, inclusive, and meritocratic, yet entirely focused and motivated to expedite the mission at hand. And this helps eradicate things like hierarchy, politics, prejudice, hangers-on, are not permitted or tolerated. The Navy SEALs and the British Special Air Service are forged by adversity, endurance and sacrifice, and are key in carrying out some of the most dangerous combat and reconnaissance missions. And they they operate with agility in a decentralised command model, where everyone is expected to lead and to be led, shunning old hierarchies with their bad habits and lazy complacency, and replacing them with modern thinking, agility, networks, and ecosystems of truly empowered teams, which improve engagement and retention and can achieve extraordinary results in the pursuit to make the impossible possible. To talk about the importance and power of of what this space provides, I think is is something, I mean, I I do a lot of mentoring of people early in the career. I go guest lecture at universities on this because I want people to see the power that, 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 that this function can have on organizations and it's just missed. I mean, you you go look up uh, in the UK, it's the CIPD. In the US, it's it's SHRM, Society of Human Resource Management. Go look at go look any every third or fourth monthly magazine article will be about how to get a seat at the table, right? How to be relevant, right? And it's it, and people are just thinking about this wrong. It's it's they need to just kind of just if people thought about this in a little bit more comprehensive way. There's such a, I mean, it's such a business need, but what this is, and I'm just so passionate about trying to up-level people's understanding and capability around it. So I will talk endlessly about this if, uh, if, if, if given the opportunity. For more inspirational conversations with creative industry experts about entrepreneurship, pop culture, music, film, and fashion, go to unknownorigins.com. Until next time, cheerio for now.